Today's daf is daf yud in Meseches Chagiga, and we are up to Ve'iba Yaseima. Okay, we are on the very top line of daf yud Amar Aleph, and let's just remind ourselves what's happening over here. The Gemara had a problem. The Gemara said, why does our Mishnah tell us that only if a mamzer is born from a forbidden relationship, is it something which is ma'ovus layucha liskon, something which is crooked, that cannot be fixed up. It's not true. We have another Pasuk telling me that you can't even fix up from the forbidden relationship itself, whether or not a mamzer is born. That was the question on yesterday's Amud, on yesterday's daf. We gave a couple of answers, and now this Ve'ibayasema is going to give us a final answer to this question. Again, what was the question? Is it only something that can't be fixed up when a mamzer is born? Or is there even a relationship that can't be fixed up without a mamzer? Give me an example of that. Okay? So here we go. Vibayasema. Another possible answer to the contradiction is Hava Hava Inus. Both are the mission of the Braisa are dealing with somebody who was Ma'anis a woman. Okay? She she her das. Her mind was not into this sexual relationship. But like Asha, but there's still no question over here. Why? Kan Be'eshes Kohen. Here, where do we say you cannot go back and it cannot be fixed up? Even when there's no mamzer, is by an Ashes Kohen. Because by an Ashes Kohen, even if, even if it wasn't with her will, she's not allowed to go back to her husband. So whether or not there's a child, you still destroyed this, this woman's marriage. You still destroyed her husband's marriage. And that is going to be permanent. Khan Be'eshes Yisrael, as opposed to the wife of a Yisrael, where she's going to be permitted to go back to her husband. So then the only thing that's, that's twisted and cannot be straightened is when a mamzer is born, the, that outcome. But otherwise, the relationship of the actual couple is, is going to be able to go back to, hence, it can be straightened out. Yesterday we discussed the Tamar Chacham, who goes and takes his own path. It says, a person who leaves and comes, in Shalom, there's no peace. So Rav, Rav says, what is, what is the meaning of this Pasuk? When somebody leaves the Dvar Halacha and goes to Psukim, meaning the person um, goes strictly to the source, and this is actually going to be a fascinating, even after our Mishnah, a fascinating conversation for Amar Aleph, a person who only learns Chumash without Halacha, you're not going to have any fulfillment. You're not going to have peace because you can't really figure out everything the Torah means just by reading a Pasuk. Ushmul Amar and Shmuel says, Zeha perish mi Talmud Mishnah. It's referring to somebody who, who, who uh, separates from Talmud and Mishnah, not referring to somebody who separates from the Psukim. Okay, so a person staying away from the depths of it and the halacha of it. Even a person who leaves one area of Shas to go learn another, er, uh, another Shas, which Rashi over here says, a person who was learning Talmud Yerushalmi and then goes to leave Talmud Bavli, Talmud Yerushalmi is a lot deeper, it's a lot more expansive, and if you stop learning Talmud Yerushalmi and move to Talmud Bavli, so you're going to be more in the dark about the real MS, the real meaning of things, and it's going to be frustrating for the person. Period. End of that Gemara. Okay. Beautiful. We are now up to the Mishnah, eight lines from the top of Yod, Amud Aleph. And let us preface this Mishnah. There's going to be such a fascinating Amud. Okay, and let me explain. It says in the Torah, let's talk for a, for a minute or two. 
It says in the Torah, for example, on Shabbos, that's going to be one of the examples we give. Do not do any work. Don't do any work on Shabbos. That's really all it says. There's nothing more specific that you're going to find in the Torah other than don't do work, besides for actually one malacha that comes up. I love, it's amazing when it comes up in the weekly parsha. There's one pasuk that's coming up in the beginning of Parsha's Kisisa, which tonight we're beginning Parsha's Kisisa, Hamatzi Shabbos. It says, Do not light a, kindle a flame on Yom Shabbos. It's a whole Parsha, a whole discussion why flame in particular is mentioned. There's a dispute whether it's just giving it a lav as opposed to a chiyav misa or whether it's telling us that uh, to, to make a heckish to fire. There's a whole conversation over there. Bottom line is, here's the point for our Mishnah. When you tell me don't work on Shabbos, that seems to imply I shouldn't lift up a heavy box. Am I going to lift a heavy box on Shabbos? Absolutely. But when it says that I'm not allowed to work, would I assume that means I shouldn't uh, turn on a light switch? No, that's not work. So when it says, don't work, what does that mean? You can't understand the halo- uh, anything that has to do with Shabbos without the Torah Shabbal Peh, without the oral Torah. Okay? You need Moshe Rabbeinu to explain to us what Hashem meant when that Pasuk was given. Okay, so Moshe says, let me tell you what work is. Work has nothing to do with effort. Work has nothing to do with how heavy something is. You know what work has to do with? The Mishkan. Whatever had to be done in the Mishkan, that's considered work. And you cannot do it on Shabbos. If it's not in the Mishkan, go do it. No problemo. We need in Moshe to give us orally, transmit that to us orally. Our Mishnah now is going to get into various areas of halacha. It's going to be so, so, such a uh, beautiful and, and multifaceted Mishnah and Amun. Which things do we do like just as part of halacha, but they can't really be found explicitly in the psukim in the Torah. Interesting, okay? And we're going to go through different categories of things that, that we do in the halachas of a Jew that if you try to connect it back to verses in the Torah, it's going to be a little bit of a stretch, Okay, so let's get going. This is a very interesting conversation. In order to release somebody from a vow, the way that works is flying in the air. <laughs> you know what that means? There's no verses anchoring it. It's flying. In, it's words, utters, uh, utterances, not utters, that's on a cow. It's utterances, Okay. So Hetar Nadarim, you want to know how, the, how do we know how to release a vow, that you could release a vow? There's no real verse in the Torah that's going to be a source for it. And not only is there no explicit verse, there's not even a smicha, there's not even a verse to lean on. When we look at the halachas of how to remove a vow, it's like, wow, like, where'd you, like, how do you even know that? There's no particular pasuk. That we could that we can lean on. Okay. Hilcha Shabbos. What about the laws of Shabbos? Chagigas, the laws of the Chagiga, which is why we're mentioning this whole Mishnah, because we're talking about Chagiga. 
the Karban Chagiga, Vahameilos, and the laws of Meila, when you have something holy and you use it for your personal benefit, you've transgressed Meila. How that works? Harei Hain, these laws are Keharorim, like huge mountains, Hatiluyim Besara, that are hanging by a hair. What does that mean? The laws of Shabbos, the laws of Meila, the laws of Chagiga, they are sourced in the Torah, but it's like, it says in the Torah, don't work on Shabbos, right? All of a sudden, from that one verse, you have a mountain of halachas that are hanging by a thread off of that one pasuk. Okay? So it's not hanging in the air, because we have psukim to hang it on. But it's like this tremendous amount of information. That's all going back to that little bit. Shehein mikramuot, because there's few psukim, even though Shabbos is mentioned many times, but the, the way to extrapolate the psukim are few. The halachas merubas, but the amount of halachas that come out of these psukim are tremendous. Hadinim, financial matters. Vavaydis and Avoda had a, had a servant in the base of Mikdash. Hatahares vatumas, the laws of purity and impurity. Vaharayas, forbidden relationships. Yesh lehem amasha yizvichu, vehein hein These things are all learned out big time. They can be traced in a very full way back to psukim. And then the Mishnah ends off with a few cryptic words, four words. And these are the body of Torah. Okay, now what's the body of Torah? Remember our mission just mentioned three categories. There are some things that just are like flying in the air. No real per- verse to hang it on. And then there's a second category of halachos that are based upon psukim, but it's like a mountain of information coming off of a few words. And then there are things that are literally coming out of uh, the psukim and the Torah. Okay, so we have these three categories. Here we go. Says the Gemara. Tanya, we learned in a b'risa. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer says, You should know the laws of Nadarim are not hanging in the air. Don't say that. Don't say that. Now, particularly what we want to talk about is how to remove a vow. Not how to create a vow, because that certainly is in the Torah. Right? We talk about Nadarim and Nadavos, pledges and vows. But how to get rid of a vow, the Mishnah said, It's not true. It's not just Allah Mishnah. There's many Psukim in the Torah. And now the Gemara is going to give a whole list from various Tanayim of Psukim where we see how to be released from a vow. Here we go. Shenemar. Says Rabbi Lezer, it says in the Pasuk, Ki yafli, ki yafli, When a person says clearly his vow, it says it twice. What does that mean? It says it twice. Why? One speech is when you create the vow. And the other hafla, the other kiyafli, is telling me how to remove the vow. Kiyafli, kiyafli. There's the creation, and then you can speak and remove. So you see a pasuk to hang the halacha of removal on. There's an utterance that I can say after I take on the vow that can remove it. Okay, that's the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, I have a different pasuk showing from the, from the Torah telling me how to remove a vow. Yesh lahem amashi yisbechu. I've got a pasuk to rely on with the, how to remove a vow. Okay, this is not a pasuk from Torah. It's a pasuk in Tehillim. We say it in uh, in, um, in uh, Kabbalah Shabbos. 
Right? Asher nishbati v'yapi yim yivayon ha'menuchasi. Yakadish Baruch Hu says, when Klai Yisrael was in the Midbar, I swore in my anger that they're not going to enter Eretz Yisrael. Why is Hashem telling us in His anger? He's letting us know that when you have an alternative reason, more than logic, as to why you made the vow, you might be able to release it. That's why Hashem is saying, Asher nishbati, I swore, ba'api. But it was with anger. And therefore, we know one of the ways to remove a, a uh, oath is by saying, I didn't really mean it at the time. If I would have known something else, I never would have said that, right? Rabbi Yitzchak says, I have another pasuk to hang on that you're allowed to remove a vow. The building of the Mishkan, anybody who had it in his heart to donate to the Mishkan, so you see, when you brought it with your heart, that's when you were obligated. Let's say when you made the oath, you made an oath and then you don't have your heart in it. You're not going to be obligated. So you see, there's ways that are hinted to how to be released from the vow. Hanani ben Achi, Rabbi Yeshua, Hananiah the nephew of Rabbi Yeshua says, I'll tell you another pasuk you could rely on. I swore, I'm going to be Mekayimit, I'm going to fulfill it. Lishmar to watch the Mishpate Tzidkecha. Okay, what does it mean, the Mishpate Tzidkecha? Now, he's saying, I made a vow, and I'm going to follow through. Of course you're going to follow through, you made a vow. No, 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 no. Unless you say that if you make a vow, you don't necessarily need to follow through. I.e., you remove the vow. So why are you saying, I made a vow and I'm going to follow through? It must be there's a way that you can actually not follow through. Which means to remove the vow. So, we have four different opinions here. We have Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yitzchak, and Hananya, Rabbi Yeshua's nephew, who all give proofs, verses, to hang the halacha on that you could remove a vow. While our Mishnah says, what our Mishnah say? There's nothing to hang it on. We have four opinions that say you could. Amar Rabbi Yudah Mashmul. Rabbi Huda says in the name of Shmuel, if I would have been in the conversation, now Shmuel lived a few generations later. See, he's, he, was, he was an early Amora. So Shmuel says, if I would have been in that conversation, I would have made a be- I would have quoted a better Pasuk to prove you could remove a vow. You should not be miyachel, your word. You should not make your words uh, mundane, follow through on your words, which means his his vow cannot be made mundane. Who ain't Michael? He cannot remove his obligation. But other people, other uh, you know, other people can remove his vow. They can make it chal. They can make his vow no longer obligatory. Okay, so Shmuel in later generation says, "I've got a better pasuk." Now we don't know why he's better yet. But he's bringing a fifth Pasuk. So listen to what we have here. Our Mishnah says, how to remove a vow? No verses to hang it on. Then the Argomara starts by quoting a Brisa with four Psukim from four different Tanayim that you could use as Psukim to hang the laws on. And then comes along Shmuel in later generations and says, I got an even better. I got a fifth one that's even better than everybody. All right. So now this all has to be understood. What's up with our Mishnah? What's up with these four verses? And why Shmuel in a later generation coming along and saying, I've got the best one ever? What's wrong with the other ones? Here we go. Amar Rava. Rava, a fellow Amora to Shmuel says, 
lekulhu to the original four verses of the Tanoim, islahu pircha. I can prove those verses wrong. And I can show you why those verses cannot be used as sources of nullifying vows. But Shmuel's Pasuk of Lo Yachel Devaro, the fifth verse, that he's really, he's right. That's the best proof. That's the, really the only proof. And now he's going, Robert's going to explain what issue he has with the first four psukim. Here we go. Te'imid Rebbe Yezer, if you're going to follow the Pasuk of Rebbe Yezer who says, Yafli ki Yafli, which means you speak to bring the vow and you speak to remove the vow. No. That's not a proof. You know why? Maybe that's needed for a different statement of Rabbi Yehuda quoting Rabbi Tarfin to Tanya. As we learned in a, a Brysa, Rabbi Yehuda, I'm Rabbi Yehuda, Tarfin. Rabbi Yehuda says in the name of Rabbi Tarfin, Neither one is going to be a Nazir because you cannot become a Nazir when there's a doubt. What in the world is going on here? So listen to this. This is a fascinating story. Okay? There's two guys schmoozing. Here we go. I got on the, uh, on the bottom of my screen, I got uh, Reb Shmuel and Reb Allen. I got Reb Avram here. So Reb Shmuel and Reb Avram are schmoozing. They're schmoozing, they're talking. They see Isaac walking to them. Okay? So Reb Avram says to Shmuel, he says, listen, Shmuel, if Isaac is a Nazir, I'll be a Nazir. And Shmuel says back to, Al, it says to Avram, he says, if Isaac's not a Nazir, I won't be a Nazir. Which means, if he is, in other words, each one's saying the opposite. Yeah, in other words, one of us will become a Nazir, depending on what he is. Isaac comes, and they say, no, Isaac, you're a Nazir. He says, yeah. Okay. Is Rabbi Avram a Nazir? Because when, when Isaac was coming, Rabbi Avram said, if he's Nazir, I'm going to be a Nazir. Is he a Nazir? Says Rabbi Yehuda, no. You're still not a Nazir. Ah, uh, you said if he's a Nazir, I'll be a Nazir? Doesn't matter. If at the time you made your statement, you didn't know for sure that you're going to be obligated to become a Nazir, there was doubt. So the statement is not impactful. You understand? The statement is not impactful. And that's why it says, Kiafli, Kiafli. Because it can't be a wishy-washy utterance. It has to be klar. And therefore says Rava, Rebbe Liezer's pro- attempted proof is not a proof. Because oh, it doesn't mean to bring the vow, to remove the vow. No. It's letting us know a doubtful vow doesn't work. Okay. Imid Rabbi And what about Rabbi Shua's pasuk? Of Asher Nishbati Bi'api. I only sw- when I swore because I was angry, Akadosh Baruch Hu says. Says, Rava, no. Gamar. I swore when I was angry and I ain't backing off. Because ultimately Hashem didn't back off of that oath, right? He swore that people aren't going to enter Eretz Yisrael and Kachava, they didn't enter Eretz Yisrael. Beautiful. So he's not a good proof either. And what about Rabbi Yitzchak's Pasuk? Maybe it's coming to exclude Shmuel. If a person decided in his heart it's not enough to make a vow in your mind. It's a very important message. If I make a vow, I make a commitment in my mind. It, that's not a commitment. A commitment is when you say something. Very important in life. If you want to do something, 
Don't just be like, mm, mm, mm. Go articulate it. When we articulate something, that gives it depths. That gives it a, that, that, that anchors it. That gives it stability. And the Chiddush of this Pasuk is, Yet, by th- this particular case, when you decide to donate something to the Beis HaMikdash, <clears throat> then it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be valid even without moving your lips. And what about the Pasuk of Hananiah, Rabbi Shua's nephew? No, that's not a good verse either. Doma, as a proof, it's a good verse, but just not as a good uh, uh, source or asmachta. To remove a vow, because Doma could Rav Gidol Marav. Maybe it's come teach me the Rav Gidol Marav. Dom Rav Gidol Marav. Minayin Shadish Bon the Kaimis and Mitzvah. How do you know that if somebody swears to that a person who swears to fulfill a mitzvah that it works? Now there's a whole conversation whether can I swear to fulfill a mitzvah or is it not even valid? You know why? Because we all swore at Har Sinai. Every Jew swore at Har Sinai that we're going to keep the mitzvahs. So what does it help to swear again? We already promised we're going to keep the mitzvahs. Every Jewish soul was there. We stood at Sinai. And at Sinai, we, here, learning Dafiyami together, promised we're going to keep the Torah mitzvahs. And then I, tonight, say, I swear I'm going to keep Torah mitzvahs. I'm already obligated. Is, is it a new oath or not? But this, why did I decide to do it? Because I want to... I want to encourage myself. I want to make a greater demand on myself. I, sw- I swore to fulfill your mishpatim. Okay? So that's the pshat and the pasuk, and it's not teaching me how to release a vow. So the first four verses of the Tanaim are nishgit. And that's why Shmuel came along later and he said, uh, I've got the best pasuk, you can't bust me up. This is really the way it needs to be. This is why people say, Better one sharp pepper than a lot of melons. You can have a lot of tyra and you have a lot to say. Any of that? One sharp pepper. Shmuel comes along at the end and he gives boom. He says, this is going to be the pasuk. And, uh, and he hit the nail on the head. Right? Which we find, <laughs> we find very often with, uh, you know, when we get into conversations with people and um, you talk, people talk, people talk, people talk, and people talk, and people talk. Somebody told me the one reason why the world has not, the, if there's one word that can describe why the world has not yet reached its potential, it's meetings. Too many meetings. You talk and you talk and you talk and you talk. And then what happens at the end of the meeting? One wise person says five words and everybody's like, yeah, right. Like, okay. Yeah, okay. One thing that comes to mind. This is not a halacha. I'm just quoting my mother and my sisters will uh, kill me for saying this. And uh, you have to know my mother also to know what she meant. But I, I, I remember there was a conversation in my house about shaitels. Shaitels. All the hair coverings and whatever, you know, all the, that go on. So some, the, 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 everybody is schmoozing for like an hour and a half after dessert on Shabbos afternoon. About there, everybody's quetching uh, the shaitels now. They're all too natural and there's no point anyway because they're more beautiful than the hair and the long shaitel and the short shaitel and the this and that. 
And everybody's, you know, all the, all the kids, I'm, I'm one of 13. So every, all these ladies are having a whole conversation, this and that. I remember my mother sitting at the Shabbos table just listening to all of her smart uh, daughters, which can I know her? My sisters are all uh, <laughs> incredible people and, and uh, quite, uh, quite wise. But she was, my mother just sitting there listening. And everybody's had this and that. And everybody's cooking, you know, with their own opinion about this. And at the end, like, every, things quieted down for a minute. And my mother just looks at everyone and she says, I just need you to answer one question for me. Why does it bother you if Jewish women try to enjoy their mitzvah? And that's all she said. That's all she said. Everybody's waiting for an hour and a half. My mother's like, just chill. <laughs> just like, relax. You don't need, this is not an hour and a half conversation. Just a few words. Why does it bother you? Women are doing mitzvahs. Leave them alone. You know, okay, you get that. Fine. But like, at, at a certain point, a sharp pepper is better than a whole boatload of melons. Now you can still say, oh, who says? There's a certain element of wisdom that's there when you speak more direct, more to the point, coming from a whole different angle, and that's greater than an hour and a half meeting. Hilcha, uh, here we go. Shabbos, that's connected to Psukim. However, the halachas that come out of it are like mountains. Mikhtav Ksivan says the Gemara, how can you tell me that the laws of Shabbos are like a mountain coming out of a few words? Do you know how often Shabbos is written? It's all over the Torah. Last week, right? We just, we just read it this morning. We just read it this morning. Tetzave, Kisisa, Vayakel. Next Shabbos is Vayakel, actually. I, was, I said it's Kisisa. This morning we read Kisisa, Shabbos. Vayakel, next Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbos all over the place. What do you mean it's only a few words? A person digs a hole on Shabbos, but it only, you, you don't need the hole. You know why you dug a hole? You're not allowed to dig a hole on Shabbos. But I didn't dig a hole for the hole. I dug a hole because I want dirt. You hear this? Ah, you dug a hole? Okay, but that's not what I, that's not, my intention wasn't for the hole. Pater Oleha. It's forbidden to do, but you're not Chayev. You're not obligated me dairaisa. Because this type of halacha is like so out there from the psukim that it's like hanging. For example, halacha, you dig me, didn't mean it. Okay. Come on. And this is with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, who says of any malacha that you didn't need the actual action. You, you only did the action really with the intent of something else, i.e., I dug, not to dig. I dug because I want the dirt. And there ended up being a hole. Says Rabbi Shimon, you're going to be potter. Says Gemara, no, I feel Tim You could even say, this follows the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, Hasa Misakein, Hacha Mekalkel, who the difference is that, that um, one, when you're doing tikkun, when you're fixing something up, then perhaps if, even if it's not a Malachas Machshavas, it's going to be forbidden. However, by Kilkul, when you're ruining something, you're making a hole, right? I want the dirt. I made a hole. I, I have no use for the hole. I don't even want the hole. So that's considered ruining something, then even Rebbe Eliezer will agree. Okay. Even Rebbe Yehuda will agree that it is allowed. I lost the plan. My kaharorim aklim kasaira. 
So when we say this halacha of digging, but I'm not digging to dig, I'm digging for the dirt, so I'm going to be putter according to Rav Shimon, what do you mean in the Mishnah that this, these halachas are like mountains hanging by a seyar, hanging by a hair? We now turn to the top of Yud Amud Beis. It's teaching me, Meleches Machsheves Asra or Meleches Machsheves Laik Siva. You know what the Chiddush is? That, that uh, the halacha is that for Chil Shabbos, you only need a Meleches Machsheves. That in order to, do a, to be obligated for the performance of a Meleche, you needed to have intended for that Meleche. And if you didn't have intention, you're potter. So Meleches Machsheves Laik Siva. Show me where in the Torah it says that your Meleche needs to be intended. Nowhere. So that's Pshat in the Mishnah, which says, the laws of Shabbos are like a mountain hanging by a hair. The laws of Meleches Machsheves that you need to have intended for the outcome of the action. That's like a mountain of halachas hanging by a hair because there's no explicit verse telling me that my work has to have been intentional. It just says, don't do work. This needs to be intentional for the outcome. All the lumdas behind it is not mentioned, that's the mountain by the hair. Period. End of that Gemara. Beautiful. Okay. Second line on Yudam Abiz. The Mishnah said, Chagigais, the laws of the Karban Chagiga, also have minimal psukim, teaching me a lot of halachas. Says the Gemara, what are you talking about? Minimal psukim? We were on the 10th daf of Chagiga. You know how many times the Torah taught us? You know how many verses we already came across that talk about Tachaygu Chag Lashem? You should have a Chagiga, a Chag for Hashem. We quoted many, many verses. Ask the Gemara, Mechtav Ksivan. There's many Psukim telling me about Chagiga. Why are you telling me that Allah is like a mountain hanging by a hair? Answer the Gemara like Tricha. We don't need it, meaning. Here's, here's how we translate the Mishnah Kedamri, the Rav Papa Labai. It's like Rav Papa said Labai. How do you know when the Pasuk says, You should make a Chag for Hashem. How do you know it means a Karbon a carbon Chagiga? Maybe it just means have fun. Dance around. It's a festival. It's a holiday. What is Sukkot called? Chag Hasukos. What is Pesach called? Chag Hamatzos. Chag Ha'atzeres. Chag, Chag, Chag. What does Chag mean? A holiday. So says Repubba Labaye, very nice it says, That's not, maybe, how do you know it's talking about a Chagiga? How do you know it means a sacrifice? Maybe it just means, be happy, dance around, sing smiris, eat good food. Right? It's a good question. Says the Gemara, one second. You mean to tell me the word Chag just means to be happy and rejoice? It doesn't mean a carbon? No, no, no. Pause. Pause. Hold your statement. But now, it says, we asked Paro to go out to the desert so that we can be Yachogu. We can have a festival. Now, they, they really asked the Shecht Karbanos that sacrifices. When we, originally, when they, when they told Paro why we need to leave. Are you going to tell me that when Maish Aaron said to Paro, we need to have Chaygu they weren't planning on bringing Karbanos? They were just going to have a party? They were going to say, yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe that's what they meant. 
It's not possible. But the Pasuk also says, Moshe, and Moshe said to Paro, Gam Ata, you, what are you going to give us for this party? You're going to give us the sacrifices to bring. So you see that the word Chag in this verse means sacrifices. Amazing. So says the Gemara, what do you mean that the word Chag just means to celebrate? No, you see clearly from Aisha and Aaron and Paro, it means a sacrifice. Says the Gemara, no, not necessarily. Maybe in that conversation with Moshe to Paro, maybe it meant Ichlu Ushasu V'chogu Chaga Kamoi. Maybe it just means that, um, that elsewhere we'll, we'll, we'll eat and we'll drink and we'll have a good time. Okay, in other words, maybe when Moshe Aaron said we need the animals, it was just to have a good food. It was just to have good meals. Right? Who says it means sacrifices? Tzimara says, Lo Don't think that. That it didn't mean a sacrifice. You cannot leave the fats of my yomtif until the morning. If you want to, if, if you ever, this is a little Purim Torah. I'm just making a joke here, okay? If you ever want to bring a verse that it's a mitzvah to get fat on a yomtif, you got it right here, Okay? You can't leave the fats of your yomtif till the morning. Okay, fine. And if you're going to tell me that chagu chaga just means the yomtif and it's not talking about sacrifices, tarba de chaga is Does a yomtif have fat? We would say, yeah. <laughs> right over here in the belly. Yeah. But we're talking about the sacrifices here. We know yomtif has fat from our own bodies. But. The forbidden fats and, and leaving over till the morning? Nah. If you're not ta- dealing with sacrifices, there's no issue with leaving over the fats, so it must be we're dealing with sacrifices. Says the Gemara, no. Maybe this is what the Torah means. That the fats that come on Yom Tif, that can't be made overnight. And again, we're not dealing with a Garbah Chagiga. Sigmar says, no to that as well. You can't say that because, but now... Habab is man chagu, a person, habab, I'm sorry, a, a uh, animal that's brought is man chagu de la yolen. That cannot be left overnight. It's going to imply that a holiday animal cannot be left overnight, but a regular carbon can be left overnight. That's not true. Are you got to leave a regular carbon overnight. Is it any different than a holiday carbon? It says the entire night until the morning. Which means, any time you have something left overnight, whether it's a yomtiv, whether it's a regular day, you're not allowed to leave it over. So the word chag, so the word chag must be talking about a carbon chagiga and not dealing with a regular thing. So chag means a carbon. It does not mean just to rejoice. Says the Gemara again. We're pretty uh, stubborn on this. Says Gemara again, hold on. Maybe Chag can mean only to rejoice. Doma, perhaps. If I would be taking that Pasuk, I would say that maybe to leave over your sacrifice overnight on a Yomtif, you've transgressed an Asay. So, the Torah writes about a Karban Chagiga to add in a Lav. And Mamela, Chag doesn't necessarily mean. Uh, uh, Chag can now mean regular rejoicing. Says the Gemara, no. Lilav 
If it would only be adding a lav, Kosav Kro Achrina, there's already a different Pasuk which we have, which says, Do not leave over any meat, Asher Tizbach, that you brought as a sacrifice, overnight until the morning. Maybe the Torah wants to go ahead by saying Chagi, then you, and it needs to be burned. Maybe it's giving us two lavin, two negative commandments, and one assay. So again, chag doesn't necessarily mean a carbon. It could mean anything. We're just going. You see, with each response, it's really undoing the entire conversation and going back to the original question of do when it says chag in the Torah. Keep in mind, what are we trying to do here? When it says chag in the Torah, are all the halachos of chagiga? tethered back to that? Or is it just dealing with rejoicing? And as we give and take in this conversation, we're unwinding the whole, the, you, know, the, the, you know, each step, and saying, oh, you don't have a proof that Chag is a carbon. Yeah, maybe, and therefore Chag is only rejoicing. No, maybe I do have a proof. So that's, what, that's, a, that's, you know, that's what we're up to right now. Right, right now, at this point, we still have a possibility that Chag can mean just to rejoice. And on that, says the Gemara, no. Ella, rather, Asya Midbar Midbar. We have Xerah Shava from the words Midbar Midbar. It says over here, Vayachoguli Bamidbar. By Moshe, Aaron, and Kain, and, and Paro. They will have a Chag in the Midbar. Uksiv Hasam. And it says there, Did you bring in the Midbar? There is dealing with sacrifices. So too the word Chag is referring strictly to sacrifices. Okay, fine. So what do you see from here? One second. So now, now we're about to wrap this up. What does Chag mean? A carbon Chagiga. Does the Torah talk Multiple times about a carbon chagiga? Yeah. So why in the world does our Mishnah say that chagiga is like a mountain hanging by a hair as far as its halachas? Like there's no source, minimal source for chagiga. Now that we've explained chagiga is the sacrifices, why are we saying it's like a mountain hanging by a hair? Says the Gemara, Umayka hararim haitulim besaira. If it's talking about a carbon chagiga taka, we've got some big sources in the Torah. We've got the psukim of chagiga. We've got midbar midbar. Answers the Gemara divrei Torah midivrei Kabbalah la'yalfinan. It's primarily based around the Gzera Shava, and the Gzera Shava includes psukim in Navi, and therefore it's not as strong. And that's why we say the laws are like a mountain hanging by a hair. The source of it is not strongly rooted, period. Okay. That wraps up the conversation about a carbon chagiga. And now the Gemara is going to have another conversation concerning me'ila. We said the laws of me'ila, which is when you have something that belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, something that belongs to Hektish, and a person makes personal benefit from it, that person has transgressed me'ila. The laws of me'ila are like a mountain hanging 
by a hair in that, that there's not really major sources for this halacha. And that we're going to question again. Me'ilais. Mechtav Ksivan. How can you tell me that me'ilais are not written? Me'ilos absolutely are written about. Okay? There's many psukim talk about me'ilah. Amar Rabbi Barchama. Rami Barchama says, we agree there's psukim about me'ilah, but what does our Mishnah mean? A mountain by a hair? Ella lechidetnan. It's it's referring to the following Mishnah. What did we learn in the Mishnah? So this is interesting. Let me preface the Mishnah. If I tell you, go kill somebody for me, I make you my hitman, and you kill somebody, am I chay of misa or are you chay of misa? Is the sender chay of misa or the agent? So the halacha is the agent. Oh, he sent me. There's no shlichus on an abeira. If somebody tells me, Tendler, go do an avera on my behalf. You go steal for me. Go kill for me. Go perform this avera, And I do it. And then afterwards, I'm busted. Can I say, well, he sent me. It's a rule. If you're not allowed to do it, you're not allowed to do it. You're not even called an agent. You're not even called a messenger. Because agency doesn't start for something that's not allowed to be done. Because if I do it, it's on me. So now listen to this. This is interesting. You have somebody who sends a shliach, sends an agent to... Purchase something using hectish money. I send Yanku to buy something using hectish money. That's me'ila. I'm using something holy for my personal benefit. Who's obligated me'ila? So, So, says the Mishnah, interesting, not like I just said. Ready? Here we go. Says the Mishnah... um, if the guy carried out my direct instructions, then I am going to be obligated. The sender is going to be obligated in Me'ila. Okay. Lo asa shlichus, shliach But if he didn't do it properly, he didn't follow my direct exact instructions, then he is Mo'al. Okay. Says the Gemara, why? One second. Why when he does my thing, and listens exactly to my words, am I mo'al? If he fulfills my request as a sender, am I mo'al? Why am I obligated? Didn't we just say there's a rule? Can one person perform the sin and somebody else is obligated? No. Doesn't work. Right? We just explained. So that's why that's why these halachas are so nuanced that it's like a mountain hanging by a hair. Now, this particular case, if you want to know why actually I'm going to be chayab, it has to do with being unintentional. I didn't realize at the time that I gave it to him, I was sinning, so it's not really a full sin, and therefore he's remaining my shliach. Okay, so that's a whole logic that's changing it. And therefore it's making that he's not my agent, he's no longer the agent of a sinner 
because for me it's not really a sin. So because it was unintentional, I didn't know. So he's remaining my agent. That's a whole thing. But how this works and the laws of how this works, it's like a mountain hanging by a hair, by a few words of psukim. Amar Rav, Rav says, Umay kusha. He says, what's the whole question over here? Doma, maybe, shiny mi'ila. Maybe mi'ila is different than everything else. Tiyofa chet chet mitshuma. Because it's Xerashava, chet chet from Truma. Ma hasam, just like by Truma, a person's shliach is like himself. Okay? If I send somebody to separate Truma for me, that works. Afkan, shluchos adam kemaisai. So to by Meila, we'll say, shluchos adam kemaisai. You're my agent, and you become like me, because this whole thing was unintentional. Elama Rava, rather Rava says, you know what it means in the Mishnah that the lachas of Meila are these, this mountain hanging by a few words? No, here's the case. Here's what we mean. For the, in the following b'risa, which says, Let's say I send somebody with holy funds, holy money to buy something in the marketplace. And I didn't realize at the time, but before he bought it, I send him off. And then 15 minutes later, I'm like, oh my gosh. That was hectish money that I gave him. And this guy's got a 20-minute drive to the marketplace. I remembered 15 minutes after he left. I know he didn't buy it yet. But he's got the holy money. He's going to be there in five minutes. There's no cell phones. So by then, however, by the time he bought it, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want this. I don't want this. He's gonna, it's going to be a sin for me. So then Shliach Baal, since he's the one, unfortunately, it's kind of like he's not going to be caught holding, uh, you know, uh, holding the, uh, he's going to be caught holding the Avera. Shliach Anya, Micah Ovid, what does Shliach do? What did he do wrong? So that, how this works, is like a har, like a mountain hanging by a hair. Says Ravashi, one second. Omar Ravashi, Ravashi says, My kosho, what's the type of question? Maybe it's the same as a person who by mistake takes something hectic and he, and he brings it out to Chulin. And that has strong sources for such a scenario. Different, it's a different uh, thing of, of uh, uh, it's a different category than Meila, but maybe Meila should fall into that category and therefore it's no longer like these alakas of a mountain hanging by a hair because we have many sources for it. Elam Ravashi, rather Ravashi says, I have a different area of Meila where there's broad halachas hanging by a few words. How so? We need our Mishnah to make this statement for the following discussion. Notal even aikura shel hektish. Listen to this. Hektish, the Beis HaMikdash, owns building material. Something ever goes wrong, they need materials, uh, you know, uh, in backup. And this guy took stones or beams that belong to Hektish. If you take stones or beams, that itself is not me'ila. Why? Hold on. But what happens if you took the stones or beams and you give it to somebody else? So now, who ma'al? Now that I gave it to somebody, now I'm going to be obligated on me'ila. So when I originally took it, I wasn't obligated. But now that I'm transferring it to somebody else's domain, I'm obligated on me'ila. And my friend is not ma'al. 
Okay. Why? Because since I'm Moyle, one of the Allah's of Me'ila, Rashi explains here beautifully. If I use hektish for my personal uh, benefit, I'm obligated, but what I just used is no longer holy. So listen here. I take the stones and wood, I give it to somebody, I'm over on Me'ila, now it's no longer holy. Sending my friend does with it, he's not transgressing Me'ila, because he's not using something holy. Okay? Now, says the Gemara, Michti, let's see. Mishkal Shakla. He took it. Malihu umali What's the difference if I took it and kept it? Or I took it and gave it to my friend? Why does it really matter? Who cares? The bottom line is, when I picked it up, I took it away. I removed it from Hektish. What is actually happening much different? So we just started explaining. Okay, so you have this, and yeah, and yeah, and the friend, and the transfer of domain. That's not in the Psukim. There's a whole area of halacha, a whole mountain of halachas when it comes to Meila that's not written out in the Psukim that you really need to clarify. Therefore, this type of understanding and having to finagle and figure this all out, these halachas like a mountain hanging by the hair as far as Hilchas Meila is concerned. Says the Gemara, one second. My kosha, why is it so terrible? Why is it so difficult to understand the difference between you know, the whole mountain of halachas? Nah. So the difficult difference between I take it for myself or my friend? No. Maybe it's like Shmuel. Domar Shmuel. Shmuel says, Maybe one case is talking about where the gizbar, the, the treasure of the Beis HaMikdash, um, Is being mail to call hecha de mancha. Guess what? Wherever it is, bershusa didei mancha. It's it's landing in his domain because he's the one who is in charge. Says the Gemara. Maybe the difference between a person who's mail by himself or giving it somebody else. Maybe when you give it somebody else, you know when that's your first mail when you're the treasure. Because until you gave it somebody else, there was never meil in the first place because you are the base hamikdash, so to speak. You're the one with the base hamikdash trust. And it says, hey, you're holding, on to, uh, you know, you're holding on to our items. So until he actually gives it over to somebody else, that's why there's no me'ila. But if you were, he were to take it for, but let's say a regular person were to take it for himself, maybe the halacha would be different. So again, we're back to our point. Where is this whole mountain of halachas, of me'ila, that's hanging, uh, that's hanging by a thread? Says the Gemara, Ella Misefa. Rather, you know what the case of a mountain hanging by a thread? It's going to be learnt out from the end of the Mishnah. Now, the end of the Mishnah is going to teach us a new halacha, and we're going to use this as a springboard. We're only we're almost finished this shaka v'tayr, this back and forth, but we're going to hold it here for today. And Bezem tomorrow, nine thirty in the morning. We'll begin by reading what the Seifa of our Mishnah says and which halacha, we're still looking for the halacha of Me'ila, which opens up a whole mountain of ideas that are merely hanging by a few words. So we'll hold it here for this evening. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, everybody.